have everybody's attention, please, so we can continue on with our program. Um, just a friendly reminder that upcoming sessions are listed on uh, SACPA, SACPA's website. And next week, the guest speaker is Shelley Wismath. She'll be speaking on the importance of liberal education, how has it changed over time, and where it might be heading. So please keep your eye on the website uh, for that up and coming uh, session for next week. Um, so for the question people, um, just a reminder that uh, short uh, topical comments uh, will be entertained and please keep your questions uh, respectful, engaging and courteous. Um, after the, the Q&A, um, I wish everybody a safe travel home. So with that, I would like to call Sophie back up to the stage and I invite questions from the audience, please, if anybody has any questions. Leona Jacobs. So um, I was interested in your, your slide about the funding and stuff like that and the talk that you talked about the 2016 funding, 2017 funding. So what is the state of the funding for your activities, especially in the Castle area, um, relative to kind of the change in philosophy provincially? Okay, well, um, so I mentioned that this project we are a nonprofit and we operate primarily on grant money and this project in itself is mostly funded through a grant from the provincial government called the Watershed Resiliency and Restoration Program. And so I said this is the last year of our funding for the project. I meant like 2020, 2021. So we will have funding for this work until next spring. And, um, and the majority of our funding as the Watershed Planning and Advisory Council, kind of our operational funding to just keep the lights on, also comes from a provincial grant. And the, I presume what you're asking is if we have funding moving forward to continue working and keeping the lights on. And so we have been told that we're getting, we're, that that funding will continue, although like most places that are funded by the government, we did receive a cut in our funding, but we do have some funding moving forward. We'll st we're still applying for grants to do our, actually on, our actual on-the-ground projects as well, yeah. Does that answer your question? Okay. Hi, my name is Spencer. A friend of mine's dad says that a sign of a good city is one that has its freshwater intake blow their sewer output. <clears throat> Does a, does a city of Lethbridge fall under the education program that, program that you do? That's a good question. We definitely work with the city and there's, the city has its own water education programming that they do. So we are working, we definitely support their messaging for sure. And that of other groups like Environment Lethbridge which are mostly focused on the city itself. And so we will support that, but because there is already there are resources dedicated to that within the city. Our focus has been 
you know, outside of the city, but we'll def we're definitely supporting what's happening in the city too. Yeah, I guess when, when I've looked at some of the provincial regulations and you know how we f what we filter out and what we're responsible for is the as citizens and stuff we're still dumping an awful lot of stuff we don't see and because we don't see it we don't care so whoever's downstream of us is kind of like the watershed that we're you know like you're presenting hey we protect that where does that end and the responsibility should be be beyond what it what's good enough for us to drink here because whoever's down below us is drinking what we dump out so that's kind of where I was just going yeah, and I mean, upstream of us is all impacting, everything we're doing on the land is impacting the water that we're treating and drinking, and then everything that's happening from there downstream on the land too is also having an impact. So that's why we're trying to work on improving what's happening on the land, regardless of what that might be. Uh, Trevor Page, now that uh, climate change is on us, I wonder what the effect of that is gonna be on water levels in the old man, say over the next 50 years. Can you give us your prognosis at all? That's a great you gonna question. Are you gonna have any water in the old man river? Sorry? Are you gonna have any water in the old man river? If we're going to have any? Water. Water, yeah, well I hope so. <laughs> but definitely, I think I saw that there was a new um, well, so in the Old Man watershed, unlike many other watersheds in Alberta, uh, ours is not primarily glacier fed, so there's little increasing watershed literacy for us right now. So other watersheds, their rivers start at a glacier, many of them, but ours is coming from snowpack in the mountains that's melting in the spring and then whatever's kind of running downstream from there. And so climate change is gonna have an impact on that for sure as it changes our levels of precipitation and how much water is staying on the land versus slowly melting off in the spring. So it will have an effect. What that effect will be is uh, not for me to say necessarily, but it's something to be aware of for sure. Well, I raise the question now that we have our website, which I believe is albertaclimaterecords.com, mm -hmm. which projects temperature and uh, rainfall through to 90, uh, 2070. So it'd be interesting to uh, sort of look at the Old Man River in the light of those projections. Yeah, I'm aware that that website is up. I encourage everybody to go look at it. I haven't looked at it in detail myself, but it's good to know that that research is happening, for sure. Yes, my name is Norm Watmo, and uh, I've lived downstream on the Old Man River, just below the city. I also have a property uh, up in the mountains, and I'm wondering what you think of Riversdale Resources, or if you know about it, and the coal mine that they're gonna open, mm. straight north of Blairmore. Um, they've been working on it since the uh, since uh, 2012. They're getting very close to getting approval. They're going to mine and sell five million metric tons a year for the next 28 years. The coal is heavily polluted with selenium, and I think that's going to end up in the Old Man River Dam, and we'll all be holding a bottle of water over our head and showering in 20 years from now. I, w I won't be here, but you will. <laughs> I'm just wondering, are you, are you aware of this project? Yeah, the Old Man Watershed Council is aware of the project and did, <coughs> I believe the board did 
expressed their concerns with the original proposal some years back. And um, beyond that, that's, it's, I mean, it's up to, I think the Alberta Energy Regulator, is that right? Or somebody's approving well, that? Well, they have just had their budget cut like everybody else, and they've had a bunch of people laid off. The Canadian Energy Regulator had three people on the board. They were dismissed because of bad things they did with embezzlement, and now there's three new people. And so I'm just wondering, can we trust this agency, or is there anything we can do to get a say in there? <laughs> Shannon, you want to take this? This is our executive director, Shannon. Um, yeah, so the process is at the stage where the, there's a federal-provincial joint panel yes. that's going to be struck. We know who's on the panel. There's three individuals. And um, a lot of people, including the Old Man Watershed Council, have asked to um, participate in the hearings and give a presentation. Um, we've submitted a long... Um, report on our findings and after reviewing the environmental impact assessment and some of the um, shortcomings that we felt were in it that we have identified have been shared. Um, but ultimately, it's up to the panel to make a recommendation to the federal <coughs> minister of environment, who right now is Jonathan Wilkinson. And um, so the Alberta Energy Regulator um, is part of the process, but they do not make the final decision. So if you have anything to share, um, you should share it with the panel and also with the federal minister of environment. And then that's, that's who makes the final decision. Okay. Uh, I actually, um, through, a, through a, a group called the Coalition, of the, the Grassy Mountain Coalition, I am an intervene, you know, I am an intervener in that group and we have represent representatives there uh, through a law our law lawyer who's in Edmonton. And uh, it's been going on now for many years. And I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm afraid Lethbridge is gonna pay the, the brunt for what is coming. That's my concern. Yeah, for sure, we hear you. And the other thing to keep in mind for those of us who might not have heard about this before is this is um, one Want just one coal mine. There's also two to three more that um, are we're expecting to apply for a <coughs> permit in the same area. Um, so if if you do have uh, something to say about that, you should definitely get in touch with your MP and the federal minister of environment. I I have brought some information with me. Could I meet with you two ladies for ten minutes after later on? Sure, no problem. Okay, thank you. And uh, just a quick note on the last question. So Dr. Stefan Kienzel at the University of Lethbridge, he specializes in climate change and hydrology. And he has done a lot of research into um, what water we're expecting in the river and um, in the watershed. And he has found um, through his computer modeling that um, the amount of water is not gonna change. And it may even increase slightly, but what's going to change is the timing of it. So we're expecting more winter rains, an earlier melt, and uh, longer summers, hotter summers. And so um, it's going to change how we have to manage our uh, water resources and especially our reservoirs because the timing of the runoff will be different and that will impact 
Um, there'll be more irrigation earlier in the spring, later in the fall, and they'll have to start um, managing differently and capturing that water earlier. And then also that means we might run out sooner because um, by the time the late summer flows are so low, there won't be as much left in the late summer. Uh, Lauren Fitch, Sophie, great presentation, thank you. Thanks. I, I'm interested when you talked about the engaging recreationalists portion. Mm -hmm. My sense was most of the recreationalists that you engaged with were motorized recreationalists and that their priority was maintaining off-highway vehicle roads and trails. Did you have an opportunity to talk to non-motorized recreationalists and what their hopes and desires are for our headwaters? So that's a good point. Our main target was, our focus audience was the motorized recreationists. It happened that we did find that many of the motorized recreationists also engaged in other forms of recreation. So they reported that they also went hiking or, or did some hunting or whatever. Um, but the main target of the surveys was the motorized recreationists. There were a couple kind of opportune our opportunities where you know they encountered somebody out fishing or somebody out hiking and they they surveyed them but for the most part these results are just from the motorized recreationists yeah uh, thank you for your my, my name is Bob Campbell thank you for your presentation it was informative and Lauren stole part of my question so I won't go back to that one I'd just like you to comment on the overall health of the system the watershed system as it is today. Because I know in the past, we you know we talk a lot about motorized vehicles and so on, but the other problem that has been plaguing the Old Man River for many, many years has been feedlot operations and that sort of thing. How are you dealing with that? And uh, so what generally, what is the overall health of the system as it is today? Mm -hmm. Well, as I mentioned, it's a very busy landscape and, and raising of cattle is definitely one of the land uses that's having an impact and so we have been working with land producers as well we have another project uh, called our watershed legacy program and that's targeting mostly land owners and uh, producers in implementing beneficial management practices like fencing off riparian areas and things like that installing off-stream waterers so we are trying to engage with other land users as well through other projects as our resources allow um, because we definitely see that water quality tends to decrease as you move downstream just because partly due to the landscape and the, the land uses that are on it for sure. Hi, my name's uh, Cheryl Bradley and I really appreciate the work the Old Man Watershed Council's doing on um, informing and engaging citizens in the watershed. Um, my question kind of flows a bit from Lorne's, and it's around um, OHV use in our headwaters, and it's good that you're work, that there is work with OHV users, but uh, I was quite involved in the extensive consultations that were undertaken between what about 2015 to 2019 regarding land use planning in our headwaters for the Livingston Porcupine Hills area 
as well as the castle parks. And there were thousands of Albertans that participated in those consultations, as you're aware. The Old Man Watershed Council did as well. And uh, there were science-based limits put on um, the density of off-highway vehicle trails. Now, it's my understanding that uh, the new minister of Alberta Environment and Parks is suggesting that we should loosen up on those limits, and he's requesting that uh, we consider changes to those land use plans. Um, and so I'm wondering what role the uh, Old Man Watershed Council has to play in informing uh, citizens in the basin about these kinds of threats. I mean, there's real physical threats, but also, I guess, political threats to um, kind of plans that were made with extensive consultation and that could be undone at the whim of a minister. So I'm just wondering if the Old Man Watershed Council feels they have the latitude and ability to kind of inform residents in the basin about these challenges. Yeah, we're, we're definitely all for informing the residents of, of what's happening in our watershed. We have representation also on the Southern Alberta Recreation Advisory Group, I think, which is working on the implementation of some of those recreation management plans. And it sounds like they might be up for revisiting and reworking again <laughs> is also the message that we're getting. Um, but what that actually will end up being, we're still waiting to hear. Um, but in terms of the kind of, I think is it political, the latitude for warning people about what's happening, we can definitely inform based on you know the science and, and our recommendations to that group and to government and to the public are all based on our Headwaters Action Plan and the work that was done, which was consensus-based and science-based looking at some of those limits, and that's what we're supporting. Um, but when it comes to the, the management planning and any kind of politics, I guess, we are politically neutral and working as hard as we can with whoever that may be. So we're not doing any kind of political advocating one way or the other, but just saying, here's what our our stakeholders are saying, and here's what the science says in terms of what's best for the watershed. So that's the, the voice that we provide at that table. Do you want to add anything, Shannon? Yeah. Um, so I sit on that committee for the OWC, the government committee. There's 25 different groups and growing um, that advise the minister on management of the headwaters. And um, at the last meeting, we talked about you know potential tweaks to the management plans, and um, the government staff assured the group that they were going to stick to the 0.6 kilometer per kilometer squared that is in the um, approved land footprint plan for the uh, Livingston and Porcupine Hills. Um, but then he also said, you know, it's up to the public to kind of hold their feet to the fire, were his words, and make sure that that actually happens. And so I think that's where, you know, groups like ours and the public can um, give that input. And so 
again, it's, um, you know, we're writing letters um, to the minister. We, we often give advice. We're an advisory council. That's what we do. Um, and we have meetings with government staff and officials. Um, but the public can also have a role in um, writing their uh, local MLAs and um, the Minister mm -hmm. of Environment as well, um, because they're pretty open about the fact that they respond to what they're hearing. So um, if they're hearing from only one, one type of group, then that's what they're going to react to. So they need to make sure that, we need to make sure that they're hearing from everybody, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, but we could certainly use your help, and um, you know, everyone has a right to, to share their opinions with their local MLA and the Minister of Environment. And um, you know, one thing that we've been promoting for years that's in our Headwaters Action Plan is sticking to those targets and limits on linear features density, because we know from science that that's like one of the most important things we can do. So um, you can mention um, you know, sticking to the targets that are approved is, is really important. Hi, my name is Eric Peterson, and uh, I lived here since 1964, and I'm totally surprised what I heard from Norm Watmer about the coal mines opening up out in, is this an Alberta site or BC site? Alberta. Alberta site. Now, we close in coal mines all around Hannah area. We close in Genesee and uh, Hennessy and Allen, that area. We close three or four coal mines inland no problems with pollution any water. Why are we doing that now? There's a totally news to me, and I think it's an eye-opener for a lot of us guys in here. Where's all that coal gonna go to these stopping coal? I was just in Europe for six weeks, and there was over there these stopped coal mining in every country. And now all of a sudden we're opening all this up here. Where's that coal going to? to China, or is it going out of country? So there's two different kinds of coal. There's the coal that they use to produce electricity, yeah. and those are the mines that are closing around Hannah. Um, and then the coal that's here is metallurgical coal that's used to make steel. And yes, that is going to be shipped, presumably, to Asia for making steel. And then, you know, they often ship it back to us so we can build our houses and our buildings and all of that. And so um, we're part of this too. Uh, which is important to, to think about. Um, and then, so that, that's why the, there is still a, a demand for um, this metallurgical coal. Um, one thing that has happened recently is the price of it has dropped, and so there's like less interest from investors in um, opening these mines because the price is low, but over the long term, it's kind of like oil. Um, you know, we still need it. That, and there's still a demand for it, and so there, there is um, the potential for, for these mines to open. Um, and yeah, the, the, so the, the primary concerns are um, the loss of, of the habitat, because it would be like an open pit. It would be you know, destroying the trees and the, mm -hmm. the creeks and all yeah. that would be a pit. Um, and then the downstream impact of selenium um, on fish. Um, so we know selenium does deform fish, kills fish. Um, 
and there's a, a big issue with this um, on the BC side and we expect we'd have a similar concern here and so far with you know millions and millions of dollars of investment from tech they've been doing a really good job trying to clean up the selenium but they we just don't have the technology well that's the issue um, they've invested millions of dollars they're working on it um, but we've just haven't been able to to fix this so it's it's a go this project it is a go no like no so it's it being reviewed right now by okay. the federal minister of environment jonathan wilkinson uh -huh. so that's the person you and your mp you, uh, those are the people that you should talk to if you have something to say okay that's eye-opener thank you very much mm -hmm. hi my name is knut peterson and I'm not a brother. He's yeah, not my brother. <laughs> Although I don't disagree with him on everything. Uh, my question relates to uh, water taken out of the river and never returned, which is uh, related to fracking. There's maybe not that much fracking happening right now, but uh, what's uh, what's uh, the Old Man River Watershed Council, how, what's their stand on, on water being taken out of the river for fracking operations? <laughs> okay, um, so in terms of fracking, we know we've looked at the data and there's not a lot of water being withdrawn for fracking in our watershed. It's like a, a comparatively very small amount, like less than 1%. Um, so in terms of volume, it's not a big concern, um, um, but there, there is a difference in that that water is gone from the water cycle uh, probably forever because it's injected deep underground. Um, and so the issue with the concern that we hear from people and groundwater specialists is more on the quality and the impact of possible um, leaks from these wells getting into our rivers and creeks. Um, we haven't seen any of that. All of the um, sampling that is done by the province, um, they've never found anything in the, in the creeks and rivers yet. Um, and like hopefully that never happens. Um, um, but they, they do test for it. And um, you know, there has been anecdotal reports. I haven't seen the data myself, but there has been reports uh, from um, well owners saying that their water well has been contaminated and that uh, you know they feel it was from fracking or they said you know once fracking happened their well was changed. And so wh what we do is we encourage people to get their well tested regularly at least once a year. Um, you can get your water well tested through Alberta Health Services. They'll do it for free and um, then you'll have a good baseline and then if fracking comes around you'll be able to see the change because you have that data and that's really important otherwise it's like how did it get contaminated nobody knows um, and there hasn't been really a lot of research around here about fracking um, i know up north they did confirm some of the earthquakes were caused by fracking the very um, small earthquakes they didn't cause any damage but they did they did feel them um, so you know that basically what we're doing is we're keeping an eye on the water quality data encouraging people to get their well tested 
and encouraging the Alberta Energy Regulator to do more research and more monitoring of water wells to make sure that this isn't an issue. So this will be the last question from the floor, please. Hi, my name is Gerhard Hartmann. About 15 years ago, I used to be chair of the board of directors of the Old Man Watershed Council. What you've been hearing today, and especially the questions that come forward, could probably be answered over the next uh, while if you will consent and take action to join the Watershed Council. And that is not an onerous procedure. All you have to do is make a telephone call or get on the internet under the OWC, uh, uh, what do you call it? Website. Or the website. And there's a procedure in there for you to join the Old Man Watershed Council. It does not cost any money. Is that right? That's right. It's still free. How about that? <laughs> so, if, and if you do, you will then receive probably through your computer or in some other form if you don't have a computer, you, you'll receive information about the things that are going on in the watershed. So you, you will be therefore informed and you can also ask your children and grandchildren to join in. You can tell them about what's going on and, and pique their interest and so on. So I encourage you to join the Old Man Watershed Council. Thank you. So I have one question, because um, I moderate, I get to ask. So, um, so we're on your website, we're gonna sign up for memberships and it's tax season coming up. And let's say I would like to donate money for the activities and the advocacy that you're doing. Can we donate online? And if we want to keep things really simple and do a monthly donation, does your website allow like just uh, an automatic donation to occur and would we get a tax receipt for that? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Tax season, friendly reminder, good causes, good tax breaks. Anyhow, um, again, I'd like to thank Sophie and Shannon for being here. We look forward to your continued efforts, your continued grassroots work. And again, we hope to see the watershed out and about in the community doing more educational um, and updating us on what's happening with our system. So thank you very much to the both of you. Thank you.